in a time long past, when it was still of use to cast a spell, back in the days, when it was still of help to wish for a thing, where the water was being strewn and the sand poured. This is an old story brought to life. Let us take you down memory game. Nineteen eighty-one, BBC Two's *The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy* television adaptation begins airing. It subsequently receives a Royal Television Society Award as most original program of the year. The ZX eighty-one, a pioneering British home computer, is launched by Sinclair Research, going on to sell over one point five million units worldwide. The first London Marathon is held. Bucks Fizz, representing the United Kingdom, win the Eurovision Song Contest with the song Making Your Mind Up. HMS Ark Royal, the British Navy's flagship aircraft carrier, is launched. The wedding of Charles, Prince of Wales, and Lady Diana Spencer takes place at St Paul's Cathedral. More than 30 million viewers watch the wedding on television. Depeche Mode released their debut album Speak and Spell, and Queen released their greatest hits compilation album. This is 1981. Hi, welcome to our first episode of Down Memory Game. This episode's coming to you from Geek Retreat in Liverpool. I'm Andy Williams, otherwise known as Tangled Andy on Twitter. Phil, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, I'm Phil. I'm known as at Silver Willow on Twitter. I'm one of the co-hosts for the show. So yeah, really excited to get this podcast up and running tonight with our opening episode. Chris? I'm Chris Rule. I am also on Twitter, I learned yesterday, <laughs> at Slam Ripley. <laughs> I, I'm a guest tonight. Yeah. I used to work in games in Liverpool. Chris is um, one of the managers at Geek Retreat in Liverpool, so he's kindly give us some space um, for us to record this. And I said on, on the, one of our original tweets that we were um, dashing and handsome um, yeah. podcasters. Well, we've got our dashing and handsome, probably uh, actually known as the Brad Pitt of OSC, with us today. It's um, Neil Benson. Neil. <laughs> well, thanks, thanks, Andy, for that. Uh, yeah, uh, rather over embellished introduction, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll take it. I don't get many like that these days. Um, yeah, so I'm uh, I'm Neil Benson. I'm uh, also an old Scouser role playing. So uh, yeah, so on Twitter at old Scouser RPing actually. Yeah. So, um, this being our first cast, the whole point behind it is to talk about the games we've played over the years, how we got into things, what books, movies, games have influenced us. So, we're starting back in the year of 1981, in the mists of time, when a young 12-year-old was going into town with his mum to to go to Callum Military in Liverpool to um, buy some camouflage um, kit and I'm not really sure why but there you go and then the discovered next door games of Liverpool um, which changed my life as it did probably most other gamers in Liverpool at the time um, was that the same for you when you first discovered it? Uh, no I I, uh, I kind of went to games of Liverpool intentionally I'd watched um Bakshi's Lord of the Rings on, on VHS as, as was the fashion <laughs> and uh, and honestly so I reckon I was maybe 16 uh, and I'd, n- I'd just never seen anything like it it just like uh, you know that, it was that moment where you, you feel you feel your mind expanding uh, you, you're stepping into a world you, you'd never imagined before so I I uh, I told my brother about it, and he's really into military modelling. You know, he used to do a World War One, World War Two dioramas, and he, he got this magazine, and and he's it's military modelling magazine. Games Liverpool used to advertise in there, so he said to me, "There's this." Have you, yeah, I told him Lord of the Rings. And he said, "Oh, there's this game Dungeons and Dragons. They sell it in Games Liverpool. Go and have a look." So I just wandered in there without a clue what was going on, uh, but yeah, and. You know, and I went down the stairs into the basement, and the rest 
it's, it's, uh, <laughs> and never left that basement. Never, never left. In, in my mind, yeah. in my heart, yeah. I'm still there. Yeah. Yeah. None of us ever did. Yeah. Um, so it was, so the military modelling for your brother that. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, I mean, he was. He's he's an artist. He's a couple of years older than me. uh, Incredibly talented uh, artist, and he used to make these. I mean, some of the dioramas he did were were just unbelievable, you know. And and he really studied all the uniforms and the, you know, the the uh, all the battles and everything. And he was really into that. I, I just. And that never really appealed to me. I, I was, and it was the fantasy thing, you know, that like the, the pure make believe of it all uh, was was what grabbed me. Um, I think yeah. I think for me that it was because I was the same. I, my dad was really into his military uh, history and stuff. Yeah. So I followed in his footsteps and was really interested in it. And used to make models and play with all the small soldiers. So. Yeah. Once I discovered the fantasy stuff, it was just a natural progression, and it's it's still strong with me now. With things like forty k, I still make. Yeah. I'm still playing with soldiers and tanks. Yeah, absolutely, quite right. Just with lasers on them now. With laser tanks, yeah. With laser tanks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. So. Um, Chris, um, our other guest, Chris Rill, used to work at Games of Liverpool, and so it's quite a sort of seminal place for many games. So we've asked him on to ask what it was actually like to work there and how he got into um, the same types of games that we did. So, Chris, when did you start? Because it, it was a few years I later. I worked it out earlier, didn't I? <laughs> it took you a while. '86 that I started working there, I think, uh, and I was. I ended up working there for six years, I think it was, um, and it was great. I still miss it now, <laughs> what, 40 years on or something? Well, I think, I think you're again. one of my oldest friends because of no. meeting games. I know, sure. Well, well, when you say oldest, you don't mean longest serving, you mean actually physically <laughs> oldest. <laughs> they they kind of go together. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, true enough. Um, but, yeah, I, I started... Well, the reason I started at Games of Liverpool was because I needed a job, basically. But, uh, when I was at school, I used to do, uh, whenever there was a school play on, I used to do props and stuff, because it was a great way to sag out the lessons. But then on the Sunday, when they were doing all the rehearsals, it was just sitting around. So, I, on the way there, I used to pick up fantasy novels, which I'll talk about in books later. Yep. <laughs> um, and I'd just sit and read. So I got, got sections. <laughs> exactly. That's We're almost organised. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I used to. I got into fantasy novels while I was at school, and then uh, a friend of mine, um, his dad was on a business trip to America, and he'd heard all of the, the wild stories about this game that was sending children over the edge, shattering their sanity, making them go balmy. And it, his first thought was, I must get a copy of it for my children. <laughs> And so he did, he brought D&D back from uh, the States and John was like, oh, you have, to, you have to come round and have a go at this. And I did, and that was it. And then uh, I was at art college and I needed some money and I'd been hanging out at games just as a customer. And then I knew that one of the lads was leaving, so I thought, I'll ask, any jobs going? And there was, and that's how I got it. And the rest, and the rest. History. As Neil's already <laughs> said, is history. Yeah. So, yeah. So, back in 1981, we'd had things like the Toxteth riots would uh, convulse the city in July of that year, um, and also we used to go. Me and Phil, uh, we come from quite a large family. Um, we always used to go away on holiday to Anglesey, and it was the year of Charles and Diana's wedding as well. So we'd been away for that. Um, I was on holiday in Bournemouth as well when the wedding was on. Must have been, we must have all been trying to get away, yeah. <laughs> trying to avoid it as much as we could. I just remember us all being crowded in the club on the campsite we yeah. were in, just everyone dressed in red, white, and blue. Different times. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then they started, I'd already started in seniors, um, and then as it came to my birthdays and explained, um, ended up in this place games of Liverpool. Speaking to the staff there, they were very uh, helpful, and um, quickly got me addicted on the Mulvey red box um, for basic D&D, um, which we didn't play for a long time. We 
basically I started playing with some of the uh, lads in school and at one point we ended up with 14 people in my bedroom. My bedroom's about 10 foot square. So um, it's quickly whittled down to the, the people I played with for the, the rest of my time in school. Um, friend John and cousin Gary. And I still remember the, the first encounter we had which was um, me, my cousin Gary, who sadly lost earlier this year, um, playing with a friend of ours called Philip Max. Um, Phil did a magic user and we did barely fighters. Um, encountered a skeleton in the 10 foot room and pushed the magic user in first because we didn't want to lose our characters straight away. And that was kind of our start in the RPGs. Um, was D&D one of the first for you? Or yeah, yeah. I mean, for me it was... Um, <coughs> so that occasion when I went to, into Games of Liverpool, I think it must have been about 82. And um, and there was... Uh, I remember going in, and it. I, I'm not sure, I, it was like a weekday, possibly it scarved off college or something like that. Um, and uh, and I, I was looking around, and I really didn't know what to start with, you know. I, I, I had no clue. So the guy behind the counter, you know, went over to him and and, uh, and, and, and I said I'd seen this Lord of the Rings. He must have thought it was like a, a, you know, a lunatic. I was like, yeah, I've seen Lord of the Rings. You've got a game that's like Lord of the Rings, Dungeons and Dragons. And so we talked about it. He said, you got anyone to play with? I was like, no. <laughs> I, was, I had a good, good group of mates, but I, I'd just not mentioned this to them. So I wasn't sure whether they'd be into it at all. So, so he suggested Tunnels and Trolls. So I walked out with the little orange uh, box, the Tunnels and Trolls box with the, the lovely this damn fourth art on the front. Oh, Chris, Chris nodding away with oh. nostalgia. <laughs> <of Afghanistan. laughs> oh, and, and took it home and I, I read it and I didn't have a clue what. <laughs> I, was, I was like, I, I mean, I, it, it was opening the box and looking for a board. Yeah, yeah. That was that was, and then reading it, and and then I did try it. I got one of my mates, uh, Kev, to uh, to have a go, and uh, I think he had like six characters because it says because I just didn't make you know one one person to go. Anyway, we tried. Uh, I think it was Dungeon of the Bear or something like that, and it was it was a, it was a disaster, you know. So so eventually, it wasn't that long after I, I kind of went back to games. And because you used to be able to exchange mm-hmm. games, that was quite a big part of it. You know, it was a great way of getting a new game, part, part exchange. So, so I took it back. Anyway, the guys, well, I think by then I had a bit more of a clue. And I talked to the guy again, and he suggested then, he said, well, maybe you got someone to play with, go for um, BX, Malve BX. Uh, but I didn't have enough money for the box set. So you could just get the, the rule book on its own. So that's what I got, just the rule book with you know with the two holes in it, the two, uh, uh, and, and that was it. And that, and then that was, yeah. That I, I remember so clearly reading that, and it made sense to me. Then it was like, ah, yeah, yeah, I get it now. See, so yeah, I had the other experience of I took it home and read it. Actually arranged the game. My aunt and my uncle and my mum and dad said agreed to play with me, nice. and we sat there and I. Work out what the rules were, so I went back the week after and said, "You need to explain this to me. Just go away and read it." Yeah, this game's and broken. Did, and then it made sense. Yeah, yeah. So, what, what was it with you, Chris, that uh, started you? I mean, obviously D and D. Yes. Did you branch into other things quite soon? Uh, yes, because as I say, uh, John and Stu's dad was on a business trip. He picked up D and D, brought it back, <laughs> and at one point. Yeah. Um, before I started working at Games, I was working for the Royal Borough Council and I was in the finance department, I was in admin and I was bored and I was skiving and I was drawing dungeon maps and at one particular point there was an old Grandian miniature, like a big Lich Lord kind of thing and I was drawing a picture of that on some of the computer printout paper that they had and I sensed the presence behind me and I turned around, it was the deputy head of finance and I'm sat there. He was in Warrigal Council stationery to draw pictures of skeletons and things. <laughs> um, but on a subsequent business trip to uh, America, Stu John's dad brought back Call of Cthulhu, and then it all changed for me. Then you're a massive Cthulhu fan. Yeah, I mean, as much as I, I love D and D then, I love D and D now. I 
didn't love D&D in the middle, especially not third and fourth edition, but um, Book Cthulhu is, is the one that's been with me all, all the, way. the way through, uh, because it was just mind-blowing how different it was to D&D and the, the ideas behind it and stuff. When I, when I was at art college, um, we'd been playing Cthulhu for years, we'd been campaigns, and um, I met a lad at our college, started talking to him, he was into d and I was like, oh, call it Cthulhu, he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, what's that? Come round, have a game of Cthulhu. So him and a couple of his D&D mates came round one night during the week to play Cthulhu, and they went home, what the hell was that? <laughs> and then, we spent years playing campaigns. So we Saturday morning, I'd go downtown with my girlfriend. We'd come back at lunchtime. We'd all meet up. We'd all play Cthulhu until tea time. Then we'd go to the chippy, come back, watch Robin and Sherwood, then go to the pub and talk about the game. And Mike and Kudge and Ferg, the three lads from our college, um, would spend the week making up. Uh, their, their characters were working for Enigma magazine, I want to say. And they'd make fake magazines, which at the time there was no desktop publishing, it was just then lying on the floor, tongues out, <laughs> <laughs> uh, doing these magazines, even doing crossword puzzles and stuff, um, explaining the previous week's adventures and stuff. It was, that was quite um, gratifying for me yeah. that they were so into it. But Cthulhu stuck with Mike as well, to the point where a couple of years ago, I haven't seen him for years, he moved away. Uh, he went down to Portsmouth to uni and he, he, he's slowly making his way back, but he's not quite made it to Merseyside yet. Um, but he, he went over to uh, America because uh, he likes American football as well and he was going to some matches, but he went to Providence and he visited Lovecraft's grave and he went to the, um, the Lovecraft Society shop there and out of the blue, all of a sudden, I got this um, parcel through the post with a load of stuff in it from the shop. T-shirts and shirts and books and all sorts of paraphernalia. It's like, oh, that's fantastic. But the, the the effect I think that games can have on certain people, like us, obviously, because I've tried it with people at school who thought, oh, Tombo will love this. Nope, hated it. Didn't, yeah, didn't get it. Didn't click with him. I think it was what Neil was saying before, it's that if there's no board and there's no objective at the end, it's like, how do I win at yes, this game? Yeah. That was my yeah. first thing with the Red Box, was my first D&D uh, &D experience. And I was trying to find, how do I win this game? There's no, yeah. It doesn't say anywhere in the book how I win, so it took me a while to get that switch in my head as well. Yeah, that's it. And that effect that it's had, that it's obviously affected us all to yeah. the point where we're sitting talking about it. Yeah. For other people to listen to, um, I think it's quite stark and impressive. And, and it's hard to describe though that because I've heard on other podcasts people saying, "Oh, it changed my life." Yeah. But it really did change my life. All of these these things expanded my mind in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. it gave me so many more interests to look into. And, um, and it's hard to describe that feeling of those. Certainly, the first games, that sort of level of excitement, and that yeah. having yeah. your mind blown by this yeah. living in different worlds all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah it was uh, amazing. It's, it's interesting what you just said there about Call of Cthulhu. So I remember my first Call of Cthulhu game, and, uh, and yeah, that experience of you haven't played D and D and a lot of D and D really, but RuneQuest and then Call of Cthulhu. Never imagined anything quite like that, and that tell you know, that adventure, the the Corbett House, yeah. you know, the Haunted House. <laughs> just when you go, and, oh my god! I can remember it even though I was must have been 16, 17 years old. Yeah, it's it, that is just an amazing game for mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean even now it's like seventh edition now, isn't it? It's mm -hmm. just really still got that elegance and. That it's class. It's it. real class. Yeah. I think it's kept its character, hasn't it? I think that's what it is. It's as long as you can keep that character through the versions. Yeah. I think part of the, the appeal of it is, say, with with some of the games, like for instance, Middle Earth. If you're not a Tolkien fan or whatever, you can't quite gel with the subject matter. Whereas Cthulhu, it's everyone who plays and loves Cthulhu 
just gets it, don't they? They get that whole sort of. I'm yeah. probably going to die from screaming madness or destroyed by some extraterrestrial. One of the problems that I had with some of the early adventures that we played was because it was John was running the games to start with before I became a keeper. Uh, but I'd read Lovecraft and it'd be describing what's happening in the scenario and be like, this is the case of Charles Dexter Ward. <laughs> I know what's in that hole in the floor, but I, I, uh, I can't say anything. Not, I'm not one of those players who go, yeah. gets meta and goes, oh yeah, oh, yeah all right, I'll sort this out. <laughs> Leave it to me. Meta gave me a yeah. thing on Twitter today. Oh, I say I've not, oh, I need to catch up. <laughs> Are you looking for a D&D podcast with a dark side? Something more like Game of Thrones and less like Monty Python? Tale of the Manticore is part dark fantasy audio drama, part solo D&D RPG. There's no plot armor here. The dice make all the important decisions. Join me as I resurrect the excitement, wonder, and emotion of old school D&D. Made for a mature audience, Tale of the Manticore is both a fiction and a game. It's the story where chaos rolls. So, um... You went into Neil. You went into the um, the deep freeze. How long did you play for before um, you stopped? Playing? Yeah, I think I, I I definitely stopped. I think by so my son was born in '97, so I would say I probably definitely stopped by '96. Um, so I, I went to uni in '90. I was a bit old. I was 24 and into uni, older than the average student, I guess. And uh, and I went to the the um, RPG groups and I had quite, quite a few friends through that but it kind of over the years just kind of dwindled off and I played less and less. Was um, it through lack of interest? Or? I think it, I think some of it was. I think like my friends weren't always as interested. I think we had started you know we, we there's one particular group I'm still very good friends with them now uh, and we, we were like uh, we, we meet up every Sunday actually and play, but back then we used to play two or three times a week. But then we started like we go to the pub a bit more, then we go to the pub, and they were they were a bit younger than me at the time. So as they were getting old, old enough to go to the pub, we start going to the pub more and whatever. And you know, I mean, so we did game, but it took a, a backseat to everything else. And I, I don't know, I just think like I was focusing more like on my uh, the studies, I guess, and you know. Um, so 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 ninety six and then I got back into it in uh, I think it was 2015, 2016. So it's the best part of twenty years that I was at, at, at a hobby, and that was uh, a mate of mine, uh, Dave, who who I knew from back in the day from the Rice Lane Game Club, which yeah. you know, which uh, and uh, he um, he just said he he kept on with the games while I had and he said that. Oh, you know, that was board game. Uh, another one of the lads was coming over. He lived in, he still lives in America. He'd come over. So um, so we got together. And I wasn't really expecting much. I just thought, we'll have a bit of a laugh. Have a few beers. And uh, we played the uh, Mansions of Madness. And I was just like, what have I been doing the last 20 years not playing <laughs> playing games like this? This is freaking amazing. And I just, yeah, I loved it. And then... I think I had about six months where I was really into board games, yeah. trying to, you know, and, and I, I, it was weird at that time, I had it in my mind that like, I was into board games now, you know, RPGs was what I did when I was younger, and then one of these lads offered to run a, a game online on Roll20, and, and as soon as I'd done that, I remember it's Trailer Cthulhu, as soon as I'd done that, I'd like, Oh, these board games are crap. <laughs> I'm back into role-playing games now. This is where it's You're at. So fickle. I, 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 I have to say, I have been loyal to role-playing games since oh then, though. So I feel, I feel I've rediscovered my true love there. Yeah, absolutely. Both, both me and Phil. And you're a big board gamer as well, because um, more through necessity than desire. Yeah, I get what you mean. Because yeah. getting a role-playing group regularly, like. There's six of you. Oh, right, we'll play this next week. Oh, I can't make it. Right, okay, well, we'll play something else. And then the following week, somebody else can't make it, but the first person's back. But So we can't play the first game because the second person's back. So we'll start another game. And I swear to God, we've got about a dozen different role-playing games. I think we, we suffer from part way through. Yeah. And so it got to the point where I was like, let's, let's just play board games next week. Mm. And, oh, I mean, we love board games. Yeah. Christ knows I spent enough money on 
Yeah, a Kickstarter on board game. Um, but yeah, more through necessity than choice. I'd, I would much rather sit down and play a role-playing game than a board game. Yeah. But if a board game is the only way I'm going to get to play, yeah, I'm exactly the same. So I love my board games, and, and you can get people involved in board games that won't be interested in doing the It's not such a big commitment. Yeah, it's not. But it's also been, it, for some people, it does become a little bit of a gateway, doesn't it? Like Mansions of Madness, we've got people interested in Cthulhu for playing Mansions of Madness. So. Yeah. One of the other things about board gaming over role playing is I used to be the games master for pretty much most of our games, it's now Steve because he's much better at it than me. <laughs> but um, it's spending the whole week prepping a game, doing props, doing handouts, reading the scenario through again and again, and you don't get to do anything else. Whereas with a board game, it's a how to play video on YouTube, yeah. 10, 15 minutes. Right, we're playing tomorrow. Yeah. Open a board and you're away. So um, when you got back into did it, it sort of all come back in a rush? The, the, uh, sort of the yeah, I mean, it was, it was like, you know, fee first, you know, as, as, as soon as I played that game, I was like online looking at tr trying to kind of reorient myself, you know, it's obviously a, a lot of change. I've missed on, I've missed 3rd edition D&D, 4th edition D&D, I've, I've missed, <laughs> yeah, so I was like, I didn't miss much, yeah. and then, uh, you know, and or like the, the indie movement, I guess, I missed, I missed a lot of that, and um, so I, I, I did, um, I had a probably 12 months, best part of 12 months, just kind of floundering around. I did try and do a few online games and, and, and so on. And, uh, and and started to make some, some good friends that way. And then, I think it was 2017, um, I'd seen, um, there was there was a, so it started listening to the Grovenar files. And, um, and then so there's a there was a convention in Stockport at Element Games. The, the convention was called Convergence, and um, I thought, oh, it's not too, it's an hour or so to Stockport. You know, I can, I can do that. And I saw um, Chris or Dick the Dice from the Grognall Files was was running a game there. So I thought, oh, go on, I'll, I'll, I'll have a go. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go. You know. So so I went there, and uh, yeah, and met Chris, met Blythe, and, and it was just fantastic. It was like a proper, that was the first face-to-face -face game I'd had in well over 20 years, you know. And it was, it was, just, it was just brilliant. Uh, and in fact, everybody who played that game, uh, never met before, we're just kind of friends now, you know, kind of people are now, I'll see, see a lot of them at grog meets and stuff like that. So that's really, I, I mean, that's fantastic. And so, but then I, I did find, um, Getting a face-to-face -face group was hard. Yeah. I kind of got in touch with I think it was the Liverpool War Games Society, and and I was trying to arrange something with them, but just didn't seem to work out. Uh, and, um, and and then I think I got in touch with Clark. And just one thing and another. Just got in touch with people through uh, largely through the Grognard files as well. You know, you connect to people on Twitter. Oh, you're from Liverpool, and you know, and, and all of a sudden, you know, a load more people. And just from that, o over a period of months, I guess, you know, you just start getting these online games, and then, uh, I mean, and from from that, there's just so so much has come from that, really. Now, you know, I have a number of uh, online games each week. Uh, people, are, you know, I don't just know them online. I mean, we, we sometimes do gaming weekends away, or. You, you know, um, do a wandering road trip that you were listening to uh, or Anthrax's game in Vexus today. Yeah, about wandering road trips, fantastic event. We just basically played the one ring for uh, a weekend. Well, the next year it, it's a bit different. It's effectively the it's Tolkien versus Morcock because it's kind of hard to believe, but there's some real Tolkien haters. Uh, <laughs> please, uh, this Morcock crowd. So, uh, so, so we're all going on a weekend, uh, and we're going to play, you know, Tolkien games and, and Morcock games and stuff like that. It's going to be brilliant, and uh, yeah, just loads of stuff like that, you know. And uh, it's uh, it's a great community to be involved and to be part of, you know. It is, and, and you know, and people my age as well as old as I am we've, we've got these experiences that we're talking about now you know it's fantastic so let, let's just touch on that then so we've got um, new Neil now who's playing again mm. and old Neil who did play in the yeah. 80s what 
do you play differently do you play the same or, I mean we've oh, already yeah. touched on trying to get a group together now yeah. is I think is a lot harder when you're a lot younger yeah. you've got less responsibilities yeah, get, yeah, getting yeah. a group of six people together is relatively easy isn't it as a yeah. as a teenager oh yeah yeah, yeah. well I'd say I, I met my gaming mates through um, through the Rice Lane Games Club yeah um, so and, and there's like a first version of that somebody else had started and as often happens in these games clubs, you, you go along and then you start to form little cliques and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, that, that RuneQuest crowd, they're all knobheads they are, you know. Yeah, uh, another RuneQuest uh, crowd, don't they? Well, well, there you go. They may be knobheads, but they hit locations. A rest for case. Yeah, I mean, that was the first, but it was different, different in the second Rice Lane Games Club. So, and, but, you know, and, and then myself and a couple of those guys, we started the Games Club again in Rice Lane. And, and that's when... Well, I must have, must have met we must you, have Andy. met at some point. And I don't know if you came along at that time, Phil, but... Um, I think it was more me, wasn't it? And yeah, I think... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we must have played games at that, at that time, but it's, it is a long time ago. One of my overriding memories of... If it wasn't RuneQuest, Rice Lane was playing um, Starfleet Battles. Oh, yeah, yeah. That would have been... Um, I think it was Harry... Ha- doesn't mean anything to anyone listening to the podcast actually. <laughs> but I'm gonna put a couple of names out there. Harry and Colin. There you go. I'm sure it was them who ran the start Yeah. But uh but yeah, I, I you know, but I think I mean to get back to your question, a, a different player. I, I mean absolutely. I, I think what's changed quite a lot is I, I was a bit of an arsehole when I was like a human man, no. you know. <laughs> oh no, I was. And uh and um, whereas I like to think not so much now, I think just like I, I think your life experiences really change how you play your games. And like if you're a game master, uh, you know it, it changes how you approach your games. I, I think I'm, uh, I think I, I I concentrate much more on the players and making sure they're having a good time. Do you always mostly the end that you I mean I love GM and it's probably. I mean, regularly I run at least one game a week. I've got probably playing two or three others. So, yeah, so I do play more. And again, as I think as a player, you've got that like responsibility to make sure that you know you're not kind of dominating the game and yeah. and ruining it for other people and so on. You know. So I think I think I am a, a bit more considerate as a, than I was when I was younger, for sure. Yeah. Do you think being a GM and a player changes how you're a player? Yeah, I, think I, definitely, yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. I think and the other thing that's different now as well is my capacity for remembering complex rule systems is much diminished. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're all like that. Yeah. So I go, a simpler yeah. game suit me, definitely. Yeah. We've got Rollmaster coming up in one episode. Oh! <laughs> Well, it might take two episodes <laughs> to get, just to get through. <laughs> so, um, yeah, um, with Chris, with you um, working at games, um, mm-hmm. what was it actually like to work at games? I mean, we we only saw it from our point of view of coming in. And How did it look? Your smiling faces behind behind the counters. Um, but you obviously came into contact with a lot more nerds and geeks. Basically. We did, yeah, obviously. It's nature I'm, of the business. I mean, obviously, we were your favourite nerds and geeks that came. Anyway, moving. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was great. It was great. Like, like I said earlier, I still miss those days. And working with something that you love can be a double-edged sword. Yeah. Because when I worked at HMV, I barely listened to music because I'd had it all day long. Yeah. Um, when I worked at Forbidden Planet, barely read comics because I was surrounded by them all day. But at Games Olympia, I don't know whether it was because I was still young and fresh into the hobby. I was only a few years into the hobby rather than a few decades into something. But it was great. Working with One of the things that people used to say to me all of the staff up at Forbidden Planet is it must be great working here, sitting around reading comics all day. It's like, no, we're not, we're not, we're not. But at Games of Liverpool, we were. <laughs> um, 
we used to have a cabinet in the, if you remember the layout of the basement, there was a three room. Give us a description of the layout for people who didn't go to. Uh, right, you'd come in on Kingsway Corner, um, you'd go in, you'd go past the owner's mum, the little German lady, or Sharon. With Was the, she German? I never swept yeah, yeah, With a number 11 pen on her top lip. Okay. <laughs> uh, and you would take a sharp left turn down the stairs, <laughs> steep stairs, dog leg, a few more stairs, down into a pointy, dank basement room, which was the main retail area with books and scenarios and stuff like that. Then you'd go through into the middle room, which is where we kept the little drawers with all the miniatures in and the glass cabinets. And then through to the final room that the public could see. Mm -hmm. um, it was a glass cabinet room where we'd have big sets out. Um, yeah, if the opposite the little drawers with the miniatures in, there was another door. And if we went through there, there was the stock room to the right, there was the stock room for the upstairs stuff, the chess and the, the executive games and stuff like that. And that was about the size of a football pitch. It's massive. Yeah, it was ceiling. It was huge. Uh, but if you went the other way, there were a couple of small rooms, that was stock rooms, and then you went up this rickety little ladder into what would now be the side on Whitechapel, where the windows were. On the other side of that, which was where the wholesale was, uh, where the lads were packaging up orders to send out to other stores. Um, so games was one of the, the the main outlets, wasn't it for RPGs at the time? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like um, Asma Day uh, UK used to be as Deviant. Yeah, Games Liverpool used to supply as Deviant with their stuff. Well, um, and Steve became like the main supplier yeah. eventually. Yeah, I mean, there's there's still a lot of um, shops that we supply that are still going. Leisure Games, uh, Orcs Nest, a whole bunch of. It's top net. Um, yeah, uh, Spirit Games. Well, I think Spirit Games may have closed down. Orcs Nest is definitely still going. But uh, yes, uh, they were. Well, it was us and Games Workshop mostly. Uh, there was another company called Chris Hardy Games. Uh, but they used to deal mostly in Flying Buffalo stuff. But well, Games was yeah. one of the major suppliers to everybody up and down the country for their role-playing stuff. But it was great. Um, was it its own store or was it part of a, a chain? Or a, it, was a, it, 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 was, it was its own store, but they had uh, a little shop up near where Steve's live. I can't remember the name of them. Alan Rose. Alan Rose, yeah. There was a little See, one. I, I, until I'd listened to Steve on... Um, the Grognard Files, I didn't know anything about, but the, the fact that games had a, another shop. Somewhere. Yeah, I never visited that one, um, but I knew of its existence. And Did they you go in there? No, I, I remember hearing about it, at the, but again, I only, it was only when it came up on the Grognard Files, I had forgotten <laughs> that one. They also had yeah. one in Birkenhead. Uh, and the first floor of Birkenhead is where Grenadier Miniatures UK got started. They started there, and then they moved to Deeside when they were at their height. I never knew that. Yeah, yeah. Let's go. Every a school day. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it was great fun. Like say, you could just pull a module or a rule book off the shelf and just sit and read. Yeah. You could paint miniatures in the middle room. We used to have the cabinet where um, we'd do daft things with miniatures and put daft little labels on them. And Thumbs stuff up like for Annecy balls. <laughs> I still remember. <laughs> there you go. So did you, um, so you were working on the tills, did you have to do like stop taking and cash and cash and all that or was it just mainly just sales? When I started working there I was in the mail order department, okay. which was just like a little, a little cubby hole all on my own. Um, but if you were really quick about your job, because I was round with the lights in wholesale so I had access to the stock so I could just pack it up and they'd send it out. I could help them with their orders, yeah. but also because I was free part of it, I would go down and help them out in the shop. Yeah. So the retail bit of it. But towards the end, I ended up in the wholesale sales department, which wasn't as much fun yeah. because you're on the phone all day talking to the suppliers, which is okay. Suppliers with customers, which is okay, but it's not as much fun as being with customers or being with the lads in wholesale and just dicking around. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds but, good, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, I don't think we ever once did a stock take. <laughs> wow. I don't recall ever having done one. Wow, that's crazy. 
Well, having many, many decades off stock, stock takes since then, I don't think I would have enjoyed it then. <laughs> no. Evil necessity. So did it give you contacts in other parts of the hobby working there? So you've been on the phone to other people? Yeah, I mean, I had a, um, an afternoon conversation with Barry Nakazono from Leading Edge Games one afternoon. Leading Edge? Aliens? Yeah. Yeah, Phoenix Command. Phoenix Command. I remember playing Phoenix Command with you a long time ago. And it kind of... Just the once. Just the once, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, I love my simulations, but... You wow. know what? That was at the time where games were all about tables. Yeah. And boy, did Phoenix Command have tables. Yeah. And I really liked the... Um, the Damage Tables book. It was a booklet of Damage Tables all on its own. <laughs> and relative impact damage, the velocity thing, blah, blah, you'd read across and you'd get the amount of damage, but if you went to the bottom of the column, across all of the columns was the path of the bullet as it passed through the person, so it'd be like flesh, bone, a particular <laughs> organ, so you would know where the bullet was lodged in intimate detail. I think um, we played for something like two hours and we covered Three, One round of three, combat. Three seconds yeah. of combat. <laughs> it, was yeah. it was ridiculous. Wasn't it a NASA guy who designed? Uh, yes, he was. I think he was something like a jet propulsion scientist or something like that. But he, he, I mean, kudos to the level did work detail. For NASA. Oh my god. But I used to love it then. Yeah. I'd be going through yeah, looking at, yeah. ooh, I must find out the cyclic rate for a Ruger. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that goes back to what you were saying about the whole re reading, yeah. um, not having the capacity to read rules anymore. Yeah. The yeah, first absolutely. rule book I've sat down and read from cover to cover at once was um, The One Ring, second edition. And I just sat and read and thoroughly enjoyed it, whereas everything else, read, yeah. everything else was just like, yeah, I'll, I'll just read it when I used to read them like I would read a, a novel. Yeah, yeah. And when you were saying earlier about you were out of the hobby for years, and there were a number of years that I didn't game, but I was still buying and I was still just sitting reading them cover to cover. Yeah. But I cannot do it anymore. I just cannot. I, I do not have the capacity to do it anymore. It's hard work. So that's probably why Steve's our games master mostly these days. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's very the enthusiastic bottom. about these things as well. Yes. So, um, what what changed? When did it close, James? Um, I left shortly before it closed. I was there for six years, and it started in 86, if I started in 86. Uh, so, 92, 92, 93, 94. The, the, the store on um, Kingsway Corner closed. But Lodge carried on with miniature paints and some uh, miniatures as well. Over uh, in St John's Place on Scotty Road. Yeah. There was a, a unit behind there. But then he moved back into town to Seal Street. Seal Street, it was because that's where I last saw him. Yeah, and then they moved the out to... The window was just like going to old games. Yes. It just looked exactly the same. Yes, nothing could change. <laughs> um, and then they moved out to Bootle, and I think they're still there. Oh, it's still going. Yeah. Minish Paint is still going. And Rog took over Ralph Hart in Europe. Um, but he's handed that off to Martin, who was working there before I was. And, uh, and, and another lad, Paul. Um, it's nice to know he's still going. He's still yeah, yeah. Still involved. So, so, what do you think made it? Why did he move? Why do you think he closed down? Was it because of things like Games Workshop had opened up? No. No. <laughs> um, to be honest, I was talking with Steve about this um, the other night, coincidentally enough, because he was talking to somebody else about it. It may have even been um, Chris the Grognard Files fellow. Yeah. Uh, that there, there seems to be an impression that Games Workshop was the death of Games, uh, Games of Liverpool, but it wasn't. No. Very little to do with them. I just managed to change that. <laughs> it, it had nothing to do with them. Yes, Workshop at that point were exploding in, into what the, the monster they've become. Um, but it wasn't that. It was it was an unfortunate series of events. It got all lemony snicket. Um, some bad bad business investments. Um, some unscrupulous business goings on. Um, 
and it all just it was all just a bit too much and it, didn't, it couldn't sustain what it had been yeah. um, <coughs> the, the problem is I, I know more than I feel I should tell yeah, because I, you know it's not it's not my place and morally should I say oh well if it hadn't been for this knob yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah um, we're, we're just drawing a veil on that of yeah, it, it was not Games Workshop. Yeah, it's really it, interesting. That, it was I don't believe it was some idea. Yeah. No, I mean, would it have eventually happened? Possibly. But at the time, <laughs> it wasn't then. You know, I mean, obviously, they've, they've become a behemoth, yeah. Games Workshop. Yeah. Uh, but they moved away, didn't they, from the, the role-playing side of things? For things like oh, what happened yeah. 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 At the time... When I, when I started gaming and when I started working at Games Liverpool, because the guy whose job I got, well, he got a job at uh, Games Workshop, so I still used to go up and see yeah, him. Yeah. But Games Workshop used to be great. Yeah, they, yeah. It, it, when they were doing the 2008 licenses, when they were doing Warlock of Firetop Mountain, The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb, they, they were licensing, not necessarily RuneQuest, but um, Call of Cthulhu and, and lots of other games, and they, it was really interesting and cool, and then all yeah. of a sudden it just became a two-headed monster of 40k um, Warhammer, and it just became really uninteresting. But not for me, thank you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Games Workshop were more active at that point, and they were doing more interesting stuff, and I can see, I can see why people would think, oh, yeah, yeah, they they destroyed Games of Liverpool, but it, it wasn't them. That's right, that's really interesting. Yeah. I wish I could go into detail to, to kind of corroborate my story and yeah. say, you know, these are the reasons, these are the reasons why Games of Liverpool eventually, I mean, they didn't even collapse, they're, they're still going, essentially. Roger's still going, Roger's yeah. still doing miniature paints. It's just not quite Games of Liverpool. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I, I don't feel it's my place to share certain bits of information. No, that's fine. I'll, I'll tell you later. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But not here, not now, not in front of that thing. Yeah, yeah. that's fine. I, um, so probably just a bit of a mini self-destructing part, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, just to touch then on some of the um, the other, I guess, topics really around what we've been discussing. We've we've spoken about our first sort of role playing experiences. Yeah. So I'd like to touch on now just some of the, I guess, the pop culture of of the time and the influences that we had you know I think we've already touched on a few of them so the board games we were playing or the, the books you were reading or even the TV shows and, and yeah. movies you were watching at the time that may have shaped how you played the role playing games you played because I'm sure they had some impact you read the yeah. book and went that's great I'm going to play that in a, or it's going to have appear in my campaign at some point Definitely. Yeah. so uh, Neil do you want to yeah yeah um, I mean for, I think um I mean, Lords of the Rings was, was huge for me, as I mentioned before. Yeah. Um, so I, I you know, Bakshi's Lords of the Rings was always on my mind, and I started getting some of the uh, Lords of the Rings books, got them from the library. I, I did this thing where, because I, I, I understood that the Bakshi's movie kind of goes up to just after Helm's Deep, yeah. which is about halfway through the, the two towers, I guess. So I, I was like, I don't need to read the first book because I've seen the movie of it. So I went into the library in town and uh, I got I got the two towers and started reading that. And uh, I, but that, that was a hugely influential book for me. And, and uh, you know I, I loved everything about it. I think it, it, the other books that I mean just started exploring lots of fantasy stuff. But the the other ones that stand out for me is, is, is the Moorcock stuff. Definitely. Yeah. I started with um, History of the Rune stuff, which is Hulk Moon. I absolutely love that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I, I, I was, yeah, definitely big influences. I mean, pop, pop culture wise, I don't know if there was. I, I would say maybe um, the, the video games, if that's the right word at the time, maybe. So stuff like uh, Manic Miner and. You know those really kind of uh, now. Now you look at them. Pretty Jet Set Willy. Yeah, yeah. Those, <laughs> you know, I think, I think they like the design of those games and like especially the um, stuff like Attic Attack, Saber Wolf, and stuff like that. I think you know you could definitely see where there was that kind of some overlap in terms yeah. of 
uh, uh, games and so on. Um, it TV, yeah, TV wise, is a hard one. I, I, I mean, the, the one thing that sticks out of that time for me, I couldn't say it has has it had an impact on on uh, my games, but it kind of in my mind, it's of that time. Yeah, it's the young ones. Yeah, you know, there was just something about it. In my mind, I've got I've got like Lords of the Rings, The Hobbit. And the young ones yeah. kind of bundled <laughs> together in some some weird. What a weird mix way. that would make! Yeah, yeah, I, 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 that. yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, absolutely. But young ones yeah. was just a brand new style of comedy, wasn't it? That it was. they brought along. So, oh, it's, 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 well, the thing was, oh, no, I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say. What I was just going to say. But yeah, it, it was. It was. A, uh, it was a, a great. Um, it was just. It was just so out there, you know. And, yeah. And uh, had the real energy, and you know, yeah, yeah, it was great stuff. Great. So you were going to choose the same TV show as me, weren't you? I, I, I was, but I'm, let me just check my uh, notes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to pick the same TV show for a reason that we're not going to mention. Okay. Uh, so, but I went with a movie instead. Okay. What was your movie? Conan the Barbarian. I didn't see it till later, um, probably till about 83, but it's still one of my favourite films. It's and my all-time favourite movie. As we were yeah. discussing before, it's the only film soundtrack. It's, yeah, it's the just best film soundtrack that has ever been written, hands down, and I'll fight anyone who says anything different. <laughs> no, it is fantastic. It is. It's yes. one of my favourites. Um, while doing the, sort of some of the research for um, what came out that year, 1981 was very good for films. Um, American Werewolf in London. That was great. Excalibur came out. Oh yes, that was. And I didn't see Excalibur till later. Um, Chariots of Fire. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's my favourite movie of all time. That one. Raiders. Yeah, Ma- mainly because of the I think the Pulp Adventure. It just yeah. got me hooked. Perfect. Yeah. yeah, and it is the perfect. Film, yeah. That. Mad Max Two, probably your favourite. Gregory's Girl. Oh, wow. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Clash, of the, Clash of the Titans, complete with a um, little robotic owl. Yeah, that was a great film. Though. Scanners, same and Outlands with Sean Connery. That was good. Which is a really underrated film, I think. Yeah, I saw most of them at the cinema. Yeah. See, I, I'm, I was a bit young for. What, Show off. What about when was um, Flash, <laughs> wasn't Flash Gordon eighty one? What are we? Let's have a look. I, I, I have it in my mind. Because when you say in cinema, I used to go when you're on Lime Street. Was it the Scala? There was, yep. Yeah, there was the Futurist in the Scala. Yeah, it was one. It was one. I saw, saw definitely saw Flash of the Tape. Nineteen eighty. Flash. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Close enough. Flash though. Gordon. Close enough. <laughs> yeah. The first video. My dad used to work down at Camel Birds and he yeah. came home with this suitcase sized video player. <laughs> Popped it on top of the telly and he was like, Oh, I've got a film here, we'll watch it with Tim. Flash Gordon. Nice. Was it one of those big top loader ones? Yeah. Did you yeah. Use a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a VHS. <laughs> so, <laughs> my dad, my mum, and me were all sat on the settee and you know those uh, trays on legs yeah. that were very big at the time. So we're all tucking into our tea watching what we were expecting to be Flash Gordon. We, the three of us spent most of the movie just shuffling our food around our plate. It was only when the Penosaurus Rex turned <laughs> that my dad says, I think we've watched enough of this and switched off Flash Gordon. <laughs> all of us were too embarrassed to say anything. <laughs> And again, why I didn't see these things at the pictures because of the two. But Brian Blessed turned up. I don't know. Why that. <laughs> Peter Duncan's breakout role. What about you, Andy? Um, for TV. TV movies. Um, TV's Kenny Everett show for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I think it was the first sort of. I mean, I loved Python. My dad sort of got me into Python. And the Q thing was with Spike Milligan that from when I was a kid. But a lot of it went over my head. But I think the Kenny Everett show was the first sort of anarchic thing that I was old enough to kind of get with stupid characters and things like that. I just loved it. Was that the video show? Was that what it was called? Kenny Everett video yeah, show? It was, yeah. yeah. It was. Um, it was just 
he was obviously just making something that he wanted to make just for a laugh. Yeah. And I think that I kind of liked that. Yeah. So I think that's my sort of influence because then it went on to things like New Ones came out the year later. Yeah. Um, and I was I was the perfect age for when the Young Ones came yeah. out. That that very anarchic. But um, film-wise, um, it has to be, well, the first two films I ever saw on video were Poltergeist and American Werewolf in London, and still two of Poltergeist was on a couple of nights ago, and I still sat and watched it, even though I was sort of dead on my feet to but I still watched it. first film on video I watched was First Blood, which I thought was an amazing, Rambo's First Blood, yeah, isn't it, a great film. I've yeah. only ever seen it once, and it was about three years ago. I'd seen bits, but I've never, yeah. I've never sat and watched it. It's a great film. Yeah. And it's actually a great film. Yeah, it it's is. It's not yeah. like subsequent Rambos, which are... Just typical 80s action early yeah. films. They're great. Yeah. But this is actually a great film, not a load of nonsense. Yeah, That's it's enjoyable. A, yeah, it is. It was a proper movie. It was, yeah, I was going to say. It's a proper movie. It's really good. Okay, what about um, board games as well? We kind of mentioned these and, and uh, we like them, we don't like them. Um, we, we, we play them for necessity. We play them because we love them. I, I, I've always played them because I love them. And, um, so I, I turned at one point into quite a bit of collector, even though we were role playing fairly regularly. But I started collecting. So I've always played them. Um, but the one that I remember from first starting was um, my mum went to Macro in Kirby and you couldn't go in there till you were 12 so the year I turned 12 I was like oh mum can I go into Macro and walked down all the toy aisles which were getting ready for Christmas and, so, what, um, so what is Macro for, for anyone who doesn't know what a Macro it's, um, is a, like an old trailer is it like, it's like, like, Costco, like a mini Costco way. wasn't it yeah, yeah. Um, and it's still in still going much smaller I think we're uh, walking down the toy aisles and seeing we're just getting into fantasy things and finding Dark Tower which I know is one of my favourites isn't it Chris which is mine still works I've still got the warranty and the pieces and things like that so do you think that was the first multi-channel board game you played so multi-channel as in there's electronic components and there's physical components. Yeah, because before then you'd have things like Computer Battleships was one of the, which is a great game, but you would spend an hour programming. Yeah. To get, and somebody would always get something wrong. Yeah. Um, but it was the first sort of like so let's, and it actually felt like you were doing you were doing a journey. There's a new one that's come out which I've played once. Um, I like it. But it doesn't have the same feel. Is that Return to Dark Tower? Yeah, the Return to Dark Tower. And when it came out on Kickstarter, I was like, oh my god, it's, Kickstarter. it's Dark Tower! And I haven't had mine for years. Oh, yes, I've got to back this, got to back this. And when I actually looked at it, it was like, no, it's not Dark Tower, they've changed it. It's yeah. not Dark Tower. Yeah, I did exactly the back end. Stained glass window illustrations of the scouts yeah. and the dragon yeah. and things like that. And I missed that. And it is a very noises. good game. Yeah. But it's not Dark Tower. It's, no, it's, it's not my Dark Tower. So was that a nostalgia that you, you didn't think it was as good, or was it mechanically different? Was it mechanically the same? Um, it, it's very different. It's still got the tower. With to explain to people who don't know, Dark Tower was basically a, a board, a round board, divided into four kingdoms, and in the middle was a, a tall black electronic tower, um, and you would travel from kingdom to kingdom trying to collect keys. And eventually unlock the dark tower and fight the brigands that were inside. Yeah, that, I was there. <laughs> um, but the new one, um, although it's similar, they still have like the kingdoms set up. Um, there are more creatures that actually inhabit the boards, whereas when you used to encounter them in the old one, they would appear just as pictures on the screen and, you and you'd know, fight or which space you yeah. into. Um, The new one's got some good things in, like you, you put little skulls in the top and they to decide like who's going to be affected by things and they shoot out onto like whoever's side it is. The windows of the tower now show different spell effects, like, so you might be cursed by something if, if the tower's facing you, and while it's, that symbol is facing you, it's harder to, to buy different abilities that you use. 
but it's just not. I was going to say, so it's probably a better game, but it's not a better game. It's just much because, better, much more yeah. thought out, but yeah. it doesn't have that fantasy, that adventure feel to it. I yeah. didn't feel like it was an adventure. It was it's very good, um, but it just didn't work. So, and it's, it's app-driven as well, so it's, you, you press different, you select your enemy at the beginning, whether it's like, which one we played. Um, some dead queen of some sort. Um, yeah, but it, it just didn't grab me but in yeah. the same way. My little loved it. He, he'd not played the original Dark Tower, but he loved that. <laughs> um, and what about you, Neil? Were you playing board games then, or was it mainly role play? It was, for, for a long time, it was role play. We, we did quite a few board games, you yeah. know. Uh, Likes of uh, Junter and Shogun and, Junter, and uh, yeah. Kingmaker. I've, I've still got Kingmaker and um, and uh, what's the other one, Britannia. Which we played a few, um, but but it, it was incidental stuff, you know. But the, the, the one board game that sticks in my mind is um, so when I this goes right back to my. I might have even bought this before I bought Tunnels and Trolls in games. I'm not 100% sure, but it was a, it was a game called Gladiator, um, Man versus Man, or Men versus Men, and uh, it, it was a tactical simulator, and I had no idea. I mean, I just saw the gladiators on the say on the cover. It was like a booklet. Was it was really like one of those minimalist kind of 80s games, almost like printed at home, and I'll say. Was it one of those little plastic packets you used to? Yeah, it, 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 was, it wasn't that small. In fact, I, I, was, <coughs> I, I was looking. Uh, th- that's it. So I've still got it. Uh, Gladiator Men vs. Men. It's like a little board and pieces and whatever. Um, and I can't really remember how to play it, but the thing, the thing about it was really fired my imagination. So I read the rules and kind of understood them. And then, I, but I was like, I, I always had like Lord of the Rings saying how, how influential that was. The idea of a quest, going on a quest. And I was reading other fantasy books. So what I did was I, 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 um, I basically made my own game <laughs> from it. So I had this, this like, uh, I, I can't remember, I, I, I think I've still got it, but it was like sellotape and, you know, cardboard. Um, some hex, uh, graph paper and stuff, and like a quest game, and uh, and I, I'm not saying I improved the original at all. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't think it did, but uh, but that game just really sticks in, in, in my memory. Really, yeah. I'm not even sure I ever actually played the original game. Yeah, maybe that's something I should try to do. But it inspired that creativity in you. It, in you, it really yeah. did. Yeah, it really grabbed my imagination. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's yeah. great. I think for me it was a game called Treasure of the Pharaohs which was actually out in the 70s but it was the first game that again is similar to you Neil that captured my imagination and, and it was a game about treasure hunters looking for the treasure of ancient Egypt and there was a big tomb robbers yeah, yeah tomb robbers so there was a big um, pyramid in the middle of the board uh, and it was a little bit like Dark Tower in the fact you had to move around and avoid traps and then you had to put like um, the puzzle in and you had to solve the puzzle to, and then you'd open up the door and if you had the treasure you, you won the game and it was a simple concept yeah, like a little sarcophagus didn't it with four lids on yeah and you had to find the death mask of Tutankhamen and then you, and then you won really cool, yeah. yeah it was it was great and um, playing that from a very young age so probably didn't really understand what it was about when I was first playing it and just grew into playing the game and really loving it so that was probably my first experience of again the the pulp fantasy adventure type games and so that was that was my first experience so yeah look that up um, I think there is a new version. Yeah. Is there a new version? I think there is a new version in production. So. Uh, coming to Kickstarter soon. Yeah. <laughs> and if there isn't, there will be. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think. Is there anything else we need to cover? Um, no, it's been a I think we've covered those yeah, early yeah, really early days. That, yeah. that was fantastic. Um, yeah, so, so we're recording in Geek Retreat in Liverpool. Um, come and check it out. It's a nice, lovely game in space. Um, lots of, does it differ a great deal from working in games or any of the other places? Yes, it does. Right or left? It's very nice. It's, very, it's, a, it's, it's a nice still, space. It's still on the basement level, though. Yeah, it, that's true. It doesn't have that uh, aura. 
the games had the, the particular aroma. I was going to say, I think the word you're looking for is miasma. <laughs> yeah, miasma, yeah. That's the one, yeah. Was, I, can still, I can still sense it. You I know. know. When I cast my mind back, it's great. It's part of the Yeah, that, that was kind yeah. of wet carpet. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Bricky kind of smell. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly Good Yeah. But that makes the memories, it, doesn't it? Yeah, just that so you know from that experience. Brilliant. Still miss it if I could. Yeah, be straight back. I, one, I'd be straight back and yeah. I'd stash more games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Folks show. <laughs> oh, well, that's great. Well, thank you all. Um, yeah, thanks for coming in. Oh, thanks. It's been great. Fantastic. Really thanks for thinking I was interesting enough to ask. <laughs> well, we had to ask someone. So, yeah. 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 You're welcome to get some for couch and some tea. So. Yeah, so uh, thanks for listening, uh, everyone. Um, hopefully, we're hoping to do this every month uh, with different guests, um, sometimes maybe the same guests. Um, so, check us out. I uh, hope you enjoy this one and check us out uh, for doing any future ones. Thanks for listening. Okay. So, quick summary. How did that first episode go? First of all, yeah, sound quality. You know, we're recording in, a, in an actual public gaming store. So, there's a lot of background noise. And we're all huddled around one microphone. So, hopefully we can get better with the sound quality. And the second one as well, uh, you know, I admit it's quite Liverpool-centric. But, you know, as the hosts and all the guests were from the local area, I hope you can forgive us for that one. In the next episode, we'll be moving on to the heady days of 1982. We'll be discussing games such as Traveller, Dragon Quest, and The Warlock of Firetop Mountain. So thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.